listening to Hustlers to Housewives, the podcast bringing you the inside scoop on the adult industry from those who know it best. Join host Leanne Steele as she speaks to a wide range of guests, from Gen Xers to today's online beauties, discussing their experiences and stories, giving both unsolicited advice and hard laughs along the way. Welcome back to another episode of Hustlers to Housewives. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little nervous for this interview because... It's, we actually have someone famous, famous, not just infamous bitches that I know from the club or back in the day that reminisce, like, I bet a million dollars she doesn't remember meeting me a few times at AVN. See, you should see the look on her face. It's fine. But we have Christy Canyon. Christy, please, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh my God, you're welcome. I love your publicist. And when she asked me, I said, absolutely. But because my life is so busy, I didn't even ask her, not that I care. In a way, I just, you know, because I trust your publicist. I don't know if you say her name out there. I have no idea what this is about. I didn't do any research, you know, and I'm like, I trust her. I'm just going to go with it. So it's nice to meet you again. But apparently I met you at AVN. I've been going for 40 fucking years. So give me a break. No, listen, I wasn't like you guys, right? Like, yeah, I did like softcore playboy type shit. So we did stuff with the Playboy channel, but you know, I've done stuff for Vivid and been in mixed company with you guys. You were always like super cool and down to earth, always. Thank you. Thank you. You know why? Because I fucking love this business. It was stellar for me. And guess what? I knew I wasn't curing cancer. I knew I wasn't like, oh, I'm so great. I'm fucking sucking a dick, licking put like I kept it in the reality of what I was doing. Did I know I was at, you know, so I was a vivid girl. So obviously, you know, I was kind of at the top, but I never took it like that. Like, oh, I'm so great. No, I'm good at what I do. I'm, you know, professional, da da da. But I never let it go to my head, put it that way. And we've seen some girls throughout the year that bought into the bullshit. And that never ends well. I was always like very down to earth, low key, just having a great time. And I was always lucky like you, Vivid. Then I did Playboy Radio for 10 years. You know, I always like kind of dug my claws into really good people in this business. Yeah. You know, I hitched my wagon onto the good companies. I always stuck to like what was true to me. Like I worked with my ex-wife. I didn't work with anybody but my ex-wife. I mean, we had a couple of scenes with a guy, but it was Playboy TV. So you know how they had to put their stuff in a pouch. So it wasn't anything like, right, like what you guys have done. (laughs) We were like a very soft core version of like blondage. Think blondage, but just erotic. No, okay. So refresh my 57-year-old brain. I just turned 57. So refresh my brain. I just turned 54. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, when I turned 55 a few years ago, that's when like the old readers came out. I had great eyesight. But anyway, who were you in the business and who was your wife? So I used Leanne anyway, because you know how when you like I featured with under Lissa Luck. And our group, our duo was French Kiss Duo. So that's why we were kind of like blondage with Janine and Julia Ann. Yeah. So we ended up doing stuff for Playboy TV because we weren't hardcore girls. Luke Wilder shot us. 
and we used a double-headed dildo. That was the only, only, only time we've done penetration like that on film. And after he was done, he goes, yeah, you guys aren't hardcore girls. I was like, dude, I've been trying to fucking tell you this. Like, just stay true to what it is and you'll get a really good shot. So he did and it came out nice. I just talked to him last night. We're still very good friends. Like, I um, love him and Alexandra. Loved them. Much. I was just uh, about two weeks ago. He invited me to go to the 50th reunion of Deep Throat. They had a big premiere. Yes. So much fun. Nina Hartley was there. Keisha. I love our old school girls. They are just the greatest. You know what I mean? And I love that era back to Playboy when they actually had softcore. It just wouldn't fly in today's world. Mm -hmm. You know, but I remember Playboy. And Vivid had a deal where we'd shoot our Vivid films. And then, you know, after the cum shot and all that, then they'd go back, okay, let's get the softcore. And then they'd sell it to Playboy. So it was that movie, but in total softcore version. Yep. They were just, it was a great company, Playboy. I don't know if they're really even around that much anymore, but in their heyday, they were amazing. Yeah. In the heyday, like, and the kind of, that's what the show is based on. Even though I've so far, the interviews have been people that I know because I've managed when I got out of the business, I ended up moving to Connecticut and trying to get to know my family and all that kind of happy horse shit. Right. It didn't quite go as planned. So <laughs> it never does though. Right. So, you know, I'm embracing in a different way, but I managed a few strip clubs out here and I even was the one who ran the Zebra. No, 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 no. That's way before I actually worked there. I was a house girl there. Oh my God. I loved it. I think it was owned by two brothers. Yep. Hang on. Paul and Larry was the manager. He was so badass. He ended up passing of like lung cancer or something. Was he the one that was always dressed in like biker stuff? No. Okay. I don't know. I have a good memory. Not that good. Cause I would, as you know, features went in for five, six days and then we were out, but I remember zebra club and then they had a sister club, the catwalk or the Kit Kat or a catwalk. It has a husband and wife ran that. I never drank on the road and I certainly didn't do drugs. So I have a fairly good memory, but we're going back about 30 years, but it were 25 at best. But I love remembering so much about these amazing clubs in their day when it was like four shows a day, six days a week. It was great. So what club did you manage? Out here, it was Hollywood, Rockstar and the Key Club. But I know that you haven't been there because the Hollywood was a club, was the Blue Parrot before that. And fuck, I don't know when it changed hands because when I was in college, I worked there. And full circle, the owner, I talk shit on this show too, right? So if I say something that offends somebody that you know, I'm sorry, I do talk shit. I think I care at this age. But he was a door guy when I was a house girl dancing in college. So he owns the club and changed the name to Hollywood. What a piece of shit this dude is. Like he totally fucking forgot where he came from. Oh my God. You don't think I've seen that with people in our business? Wow. I've totally seen that. And I don't know him at all. I don't know him, but you see that in every business, especially in this business, you know? Yep. But no, I was going to say I ran the lean network in the Valley in Burbank. Okay. Now when I was with the lean network, it was primarily Tony. 
And, and Steve? Steve came in later. Okay. In a few years after, because I started in 1990 featuring and it was just Tony. I think he had just bought it from Bud Lee. Yep. Yep. You know, and he was phenomenal. Then he brought on Steve Chase. I don't know if I could say his last name. You may have to. We can because it's not even real. So we're all good. Who was married to Rebecca Bardot and Steve Chase was a clusterfuck. I don't know why. I don't know him. We went to lunch in Florida. I don't know him that well, but he would fuck shit up. I'm like you, like if you were shitty, I'll tell you, he would do two contracts. You know, I'd get to a club. And they'd like go into the red roof because they paid for the hotel for my bodyguard and a room for me, two rooms. And I'd be like, red roof? No. See that Hilton? And he's like, the, you know, club manager owner would be like, well, your contract says, you know, holiday and red roof. I'm like, my contract says four stars are above. We would have different contracts, you know? And I'm like, you fucker, Steve Chase. Like he would do anything. And I remember saying, listen, I'm not staying at the red roof fucking in. I'm not a prima donna. But I don't want like to open my door to the parking lot. Right. I want to like go in an elevator, have room service. You know, I don't want to have to wake up and paddle down to the, you know, (laughs) lock or from the U-Ban coffee pot. And I'm not being snobby. It's just I've earned the right to stay at the Hilton. Yeah, no, dude, he did it to us twice. See, exactly. And like I got paid out nightly, you know, and at the be like, okay, I need to get paid out. Whoa, what? You know, it was in the contract. You pay her at the end of the week. I'm like, again, we have different contracts, you know, and I'd call Tony and ream him and be like, I don't like to get in a bad mood, but this fucking sucks. Like when you're out on the road dancing and you don't know these people, you want to be paid nightly because come Saturday night, they could be like, fuck you. And what are you going to do? Zoom in fucking Columbus, Ohio. Yep. You know, the power that I always had was, it's my way or kind of the highway, not to be snobby, but this is what's in my contract. We're going to go by my rules or I don't really need to be here. I can't ever put myself in a position where I'm over a barrel at the end of the week. Then there'd be clubs that you'd go to. Like I went to the Pink Pony, Pink Poodle, Pink Poodle in San Jose. The nicest. There were tons of clubs where you'd get there and you just knew that they were honest people. You know, and I remember some clubs, I'd be like, just give me a check at the end of the week. And of course, it never balanced because they were. But being in our business, you had to have a sixth sense or you were in trouble. Like you had to have intuition about people. Intuition rarely lies to me. You know, that kind of thing. And if it was an up and up club, they'd, of course, they'd be like, of course, we'll pay you at the end of each night. They knew I'm not going to flake on the, oh, I got X amount of money. I'm going to get out of here and go do drugs for the next week. They, you know, so they could trust me. And anyway, and then I'd go back the second time and I'd be like, just pay me at the end of the week. But you always had to cover your ass in our business because there were a lot of characters and not 100% were good. Mm hmm. Even some of the girls that worked the clubs that we were featuring at, they were little fucks too. The house girls? Yeah. We had problems, especially because we were a duo, right? And I never understood that. There were a few clubs where they were just bitches, like Flamingo and Anaheim. They were nasty. 90% of the time they were like, Christy, thank you for bringing in all these customers. Oh my God. You know, they got the game. It was the off beat club where the girls were not very nice, but I didn't get that a lot. Luckily. Did you do the Spearmint Rhino in Inland Empire? Yeah, I loved it. Those girls were such assholes. 
I didn't have that. At City of Industry, it wasn't in there was when I was working, it was Rialto, City of Industry, Santa Barbara. Maybe it no, it was City of Industry. No, I never had a problem with those girls. They were yeah. nice. You know, they shifted. So you maybe just got a bad crop. Bob's classy lady. Those girls were fun. Love Bob's classy lady. Oh <laughs> my God. And the pit. We took our Polaroids. In yep. The- yep. You had to go down and get your picture taken. Yes. I loved featuring when I, so the whole premise of the show is I'll talk to like anybody who has been in the adult industry because everybody has a crazy like stocking story or a fan or a customer story. And really a lot of them are really fun, but it's the whole tagline is Gen Xers. We all jerked off to. And I want to talk to people who, you know, like myself, I loved being in the industry. It can be so empowering. And I had so much fun featuring. And it sounds like you did too. So like, it's awesome to talk to somebody who I've pulled girls out of porn. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I worked for the Lee Network and I've had girls come into the office and turn them away because I just knew it wasn't going to be a good thing. And you know what? That's so true. Same with performers, you know, but no, I loved 99% of it. I really And then there were one or two clubs throughout 10 years of featuring, let's say every other week that I actually walked out on, which is a very low number. We did one in Connecticut where we walked out mid show. Oh, club. Juicies in Norwich. Didn't work there. I forget the club in Connecticut. I forget the club. It wasn't Juicies though. And yeah, sometimes the vibe just wasn't there. Normally I just, you know, hey, the rule was for obviously your listeners who don't know, the general rule of thumb was club picked you up from the airport, took you back to the airport, club picked you up from the hotel, brought you back every night. Some clubs were great. They rented you a car, you know, we'll pay for the car. Other clubs were just assholes, but it was really a rarity. Yep. Or they would stick you with, some guy who's a customer, they're just there all the time. You know that one? <laughs> Once or twice, but they always paid for my bodyguard. So I never felt in danger. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember a club called Magic Lantern in no. Massachusetts? No, I was Alex's supper club in Stoughton. Okay. And, and Alex's isn't owned by the Magic Lantern, but I've been to Alex's. My first year of URI, I think I went up there. It was a decent club. He was adorable. He was great. So he would guarantee me a booking like every eight months. And again, for your listeners, the rule of thumb was if a club owner took you once every six to 12 months, you didn't do their competition and whatever it was, 50 miles away. Yep. Yep. They had like first right to refusal. Right. And I'm a player. Like I will follow the rules. You know, if you're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you. That kind of thing. We got in trouble because similar thing about the contract thing, because we used to do gay clubs and sometimes they were in the mile radius where the regular strip club was in. So there was a club in Connecticut that had us all the time, this gay club. And we made so much money there. It was so much fun. A lot of times it's harder to dance for women because they're either really grabby or they're really attitude-y. So you kind of have to try and have a mix. And because we, because my ex-wife and I were a couple, obviously she's my ex-wife, we got a lot of couples that used to come watch us, even straight couples. 
would come watch. So we had that going for us and we got in trouble and we chose the gay bar over the straight bar. And like all the girls were like, oh my God, you're one of us. I was like, don't go crazy. I'm just making more money here. Like it's not about anything but the Benjamins right now. You know what? And I totally get it. I really do because you really do have a time frame to do what we did dancing on the road, even mm-hmm. making porno or whatever. No, you could do it. There's guilds that are fucking beautiful. Like this lady Rita Daniels. I mean, I have no problem. Do it till, you know, you're a hundred for all I care. But personally, I didn't want to be a stripper for 50 years. I had a good solid 10, 12, 12 years. And then I was done. Yep. You the knees were hurting. <laughs> it's grueling. It's not like we stood up there and just waved. You were fucking running that stage and we're working it and bending down and squatting down, grabbing those dollars with our ass cheeks or our titties or whatever. I mean, it was a hell of a workout. You know, it was great. It's personally, it wasn't the kind of thing that I foresaw myself doing till I was this age. I just, no. And you know what else? Traveling. You and I traveled in the 90s you could go under someone else's ticket. I remember girls would be like, my grandma died. And Tony would call me, hey, Kobe Ty can't make it. You know, can you grab her ticket at Vivid? And you'd be getting on the plane as Kobe Ty, and no one gave a shit. Yeah, I remember her. She was so sweet. So sweet. Yeah, and just, she was a Vivid girl. She was a, and she couldn't make a club. It was a legit excuse. She was not a flake. And I remember feeling it. You couldn't do that now. No. Oh my God. No. Grab another ticket. Now you have to show ID three or four times before they let you get on. We did it when it was a very free time. You ran through the security. You're like, hold the plane. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. It was fun. I have really fond memories of not just some of the clubs, but, you know, I recollect some of the girls along the way that I met. Did you ever hear of Minx Manor? It was a cam house. No, then no, I thought it was star, which it could be, but no, I don't remember the cam house. So I actually am part of putting that together. And Tiana Kai was one of our girls. So we booked a lot of, there was a core group that they lived in the house. It was basically 24 seven and they got one day off, but we had girls come in the mix to do like fill in for chat. Cause it was three hours a day. We tried to book Kobe for that. Oh, wow. So that had to be the nineties. Yeah, the late 90s. And then Danny's hard drive kind of took that over. Was she a genius or what? Yeah. I mean, she was ahead of all of us. We're like taking those Polaroids for $20, three for 50. And she's like, cha-ching. I just, she was ahead of the curve on that. You got to give credit where credit. And she was nice, adorable, sweet and humble. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I used to see her at conventions late nineties, maybe up until about 2002. And then she just went off the grid. Yeah. I know that something with Kobe, I saw something on a show not that long ago. It probably was a hundred years ago, but to me, it wasn't that long ago. So I guess something happened to her husband. She married, if I recall, a VJ from like MTV or one of those channels with music. And he passed away. And she just is not, or is that Asia Carrera? Maybe that's Asia Carrera. Asia Carrera's husband died. He died and she had like two babies and she's open about it. I'm not outing her at all. She's, you know, she talks about it. Can I interrupt you for one second? My dog's being an asshole. Yes, go for it. I'm so sorry. 
I guess really we have the pandemic to thank for it's kind of common for pets or kids to interrupt stuff. It sucks, but you know what? It just is what it is. Those kinds of things don't bother me at all. Do you have pets? I have two dogs, Chihuahua, who I did put in his little crate for this interview. Otherwise he just always wants to like move behind me and, you know, and then like a 12 year old Mexico rescue German shepherd ish dog, you know, that kind of thing. It was on his last legs, but at least he had a good last six years of his life type of thing. Oh, thank you for rescuing. That's so sweet. Thank you. The Chihuahua was a rescue too, just from, you know, outside the bookstore type of thing on every other Sunday. No, I definitely believe in rescuing dogs. And again, if you buy them, the thing about me is you do you. I'm going to do me. I don't give a fuck really if you wear a fur coat. You won't catch me in one, but I'm not going to spray paint yours. Yes. What has to get in everyone's fucking business these days? Like, it's so disgusting. Like, hey, as long as you're not hurting somebody and you're with someone that's of age and they want to be there, you want to buy a $10,000 designer dog or purse or fur coat. I don't give a fuck. I don't care what you do as long as you're not hurting somebody, if that makes sense. People. Well, the animal, you're hurting. (laughs) If you buy the coat, you're keeping the industry alive. But I just don't have the energy to, you know, join pet or Pete or whatever. Like, I just, you know, I can't involve myself in saving the world. I can only do what I could do in my world, which, you know, over the decades, I've rescued two dozen dogs and, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, the rest of it, I just, it's just not my business. Yeah. I mean, if you're against something, just don't do it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to yell at you for doing it. Yep. I mean, I judge. I'm judgy with it. I'll be like, oh, okay. I mean, because there are people who I don't agree with it about like somebody going and like searching out a blue fox coat or something, you know, it's, or a designer dog. Right, right, right. It goes against everything that people like us, right, we're rescuing are trying to do. So it's kind of counterproductive and no one's right and no one's wrong, but how about we take care of a problem that's here first? before we start conjuring up some other bullshit. And I agree, but what am I going to do? go on Twitter? You shouldn't have gotten that dog. I don't want to get involved in that. No, because then it's a big mess back and forth. So I just zoop, zoop, you know, live in my own nice little bubble. And, you know, do I agree with it? No. Am I going to start a fucking war over it? Absolutely not. No. And, you know, the PETA people, as much as they think they're doing good, really they're not because it's violent and they're weird. They're weird. Like vegan people and that kind of, and I'm sorry if someone's listening being like, oh, vegans aren't weird. No, you guys are fucking weird, especially like the hardcore ones. Like I know somebody, he was a great, great friend of mine. He passed away. He wouldn't even wear silk because of the silkworm. Like he was that hardcore and he was so fucking weird. I loved him to death. I loved him, but he was so fucking weird. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking. It's like, it reminds me of people that are extremely far right or extremely far left. There's something, why are you that invested in it? Yeah. You got to meet in the middle with everything, every fucking thing. It doesn't matter what it is. How could you like everything on the right? How could you like everything on the left? As much as I love Bill Clinton. Well, I have nothing bad to say about him, but you know what I I love? I don't care who he was fucking putting a cigar. It wasn't any of our business. None had absolutely nothing to do with us. 
like the whole shit with Stormy Daniels, which, by the way, I want her on the show and not to talk about the Trump shit. I don't care about that. You know what I want to talk about? Did you know she's a fucking medium? Yes. Yes. How dope is that? I got to say, I like her. I see her four times a year at the Exotica conventions. And she's in a really good place now. Like during, you know, the whole bullshit that she was going through, she wasn't married. She had 10 bodyguards with her and she seemed preoccupied and I don't blame her. She, you know, I'm sure she was getting death. She is fucking married now. Happy as can, like, it's beautiful to see her in a really, anybody. I'm just, we're talking about her, but it's good to see somebody in a really happy place. Yes. I really like Stormy. Put all the Trump bullshit aside. As a person, I think she's awesome. Yeah. I only have fond memories of her seeing her at AVN when she was doing signings. I remember Stephanie Swift too. Do you remember her? Loved her. We worked together in Domination Nation for Vivid in like 1997. She's beautiful. I don't know where she is now. I think she passed away from breast cancer. I knew she had cancer, but I didn't hear that she passed away. Oh, then maybe I'm wrong. I honestly, I don't know 100%. I just know that she wasn't doing very good. I haven't heard that she passed. And that's something that I would have heard. It seems. Okay. You know, I don't. Well, that's good to know. I do know, though, that she did have a hard time medically, you know, and moved somewhere else other than Porn Valley, which I don't want to say, and was just living a normal, you know, low key life. I don't know. I hope she's okay, though. I really do. She Are you a- able to live a low key life? Because you were like, really, in our day, you were the shit. I mean, people recognized me and I wasn't anything like you. And I'm not saying that in like, I wasn't worthy or whatever. I did a really fucking good job at everything that I did. And I owned it. Ron Jeremy had me on the phone for like 45 fucking minutes trying to get me to break my no men rules. With him. And and you're right, right, right. But then in the whole, everybody got the same spiel. Oh, I'll just do the tip. No, first. And then at the end of the whole conversation, he said, well, I respect that. I said, Ron, if you respected it, you would have asked once. He was a pushy bastard. He was. I mean, I've gone out to dinner with him and Al Goldstein, you know, and some other people too. And he eats off everybody else's plate before he eats off his own. Always fucking irritating me. But didn't he have the most beautiful eyes? He really did. He really did. But no, it's so funny how everyone knows that that's how Ron was. He was a pushy motherfucker. I never personally felt unsafe. You know, but I know a lot of people did. And I think he changed as he got older. But I used to hang out with him, too. We'd go to the comedy store. We'd go to eat. Like, we'd go to parties. He was fun in the 90s. I don't know what happened. I, you know. I think he lost his shit when Dennis Hoff passed. I get that. I'm going to go back even further. I think when his aorta dissected, he was never the same after that medical Thing that he had and he was in the hospital oh, survived you know those doctors are like this is fucking ron jeremy he got me through medical school you fix it you know but he was <laughs> the same after that i think i personally just my two cents man three cents i think he went crazy i really do yeah you know, i saw him change because i've known him since 1984 he definitely got more pushy toward the end so but it's there where there's smoke there's fire leave it that way Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, people fed into his alter ego, right? Because he became, he actually became Ron Jeremy. 
And you know what? He was famous. You know, I have an attorney who back when he was, I mean, he's older than dirt now, but you know, 10 years ago, he called me. He's like, oh my God, my wife just recognized Ron Jeremy at the deli. Like, how does a 75 year old know him? You know, or my sister who's fucking, you know, as pure as the driven snow. She's like, oh, we just saw Ron Jeremy. Like everyone knew who he was. Yeah. He became very infamous. I mean, famous, infamous, whatever. He was definitely a known household name. He did some crossover stuff with mainstream, but like in our day, it wasn't like you started and it was no, no. Right. And then as the years progressed, when I was doing it, I was fucking proud of it. We could be proud of it. We got led into clubs. We would, you know, people would just say, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Whatever. Like, it was different. And then I think now they're kind of going back into the closet again. But you know what? The genie is so out of the bottle. You know what's interesting? Yeah. When I started, it was actually illegal to film porn. You know, it was like you could sell it. It was like when pot was illegal, but you could sell bombs. Like, you know, but it was illegal to make them in the 80s. Like, you know, the director would be like, okay, let's all meet at, you know, the Ralph's Market on Van Nuys. And then we'd all, you know, caravan to another, you know, pit stop. Okay, no one's following us. Let's do one more for safety. Then we'd go to the shoot house, you know, but it was, I forget what the legal thing was that they got in trouble for, but like pimping, you know, or or we were, we got arrested, which knock on what I wasn't was considered hooking until Hal Friedman fought it in the mid 86, 87 and won. First Amendment. I mean, people fought for it. But then the 90s, you're right, it came around and it was actually glamorous. You know, we were like the elite. I mean, I never had an issue with it. And now I look at it like the government doesn't care anymore. For the first, the government's like, let the fucking idiots do what they want, you know, because back in the 80s, they were trying to, you know, shut us down, put us in jail, the 70s, which I wasn't around, 70s and 80s. And by the 90s, the government was kind of like, eh, let's, you know, they did have sting operations in the 90s. Actually, they'd set up storefronts, interstate transportation, Vivid. A lot of them got popped where they'd set up, you know, a sting operation in Tallahassee, Florida. Hey, we want to order 30 of this, 50 of that. And it was just an FBI office. And then they'd get busted for interstate transportation. Now, a few people went to prison, you know, some paid a big, heavy fine, like Vivid paid a huge fine from what I recall and said, hey, we'll shut down our mail order. No more mail, you know, but now I don't think the government cares from what I see now. If something interesting is happening, companies want to shut porn down, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, you know, it's the whole cancel culture where like. Now the banks are shutting people down, you know, that kind of thing. So it's interesting over my almost 40 years, how I've seen different people come after and attack the porn, but you know what? We're still standing. Yeah. And everyone's going to always find a way to get it. I think that the strip clubs are really like obsolete because you can buy anything online now and and see anything online. You can cam with your favorite girl. Yeah. You have OnlyFans, right? I have an OnlyFans. And a sex panther, which is the calling one-on-one. And also they can cam one-on-one. What is it? A sex panther? Sext. S-E-X-T. Oh. Panther. Sext panther. I've never heard of that. Oh my God. Like there are some downfalls with the internet, but for the talent these days, it's just a game changer. It really is a game changer, you know, and they can call or cam or just text. 
sexed, whatever you want to call it, that kind of thing. And then OnlyFans offers totally different stuff. So, you know, I like those two sites the best. That's what I work. Do you feel that like when we started, we had promo, right? And the promo would get sent to the clubs and that's pretty much how we got booked. And now you have to have, it's so daunting. I give you so much credit for doing OnlyFans because it's so fucking daunting. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work because those people that you're never doing everything right. You know what, though? Here's the thing. I do it because I love it. Every so often you get somebody that's mean. And you know what? Get your four fucking dollars or whatever the membership is. If you don't like me, I'm okay with that. If everyone likes me, I'm doing something wrong. You know what I mean? So it's that place of that position that I've gotten myself in. I do it because I like it. If you don't like it, it's okay. I'll live. You'll live. The world will still turn on its axis tomorrow morning. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're going to shut your OnlyFans down because they don't like it. And if you did it their way, then they'd want it how you originally did. That's the thing with the internet. You know, once in a while you get somebody that just wants to be a bully, but the best thing is to be in the power position where you just, you do care. Don't get me wrong. You care, but not to the point where you're going to drive yourself crazy. You hit the refund button. Bye-bye. You know? Yeah. That's good to know that you do that. Do you still have your show on Sirius XM? I guess I should have done my homework with that. I did so much homework on you because seriously, like I'm lightweight shitting my pants doing this interview. Thank you. No, I was on Playboy Sirius XM for about 10 years. Then they lost it and Vivid got it. And I was on it for another eight years. And then during the whole cancel culture, we actually, not just us, Misery Loves Company. No, they canceled like six shows that were like in the gray area. Were we offending people? You know, Jenny McCarthy, these two guys that were like comedians. And we were one of the six that got, you know, cut. But you know what? 18 amazing years on Sirius XM. That's, you know, that was so much fun. And as you and I know from being in this business for so long, everything has a shelf life and you go from one lily pad to the next lily pad. Yep. It's true. So these, a lot of these girls get into the business thinking, oh, well, no, I'm going to be able to do this. No, you're not going to be able to do this forever. I mean, we're in our 50s. We still look good, right? So we can get away with shit. But I have no fucking desire whatsoever to get on any stage and take off my clothes. Like, it does not even interest me in the least. And I loved doing my shows. You had to entertain. Had to. It wasn't just lay on the floor and shake your ass. You had to entertain these motherfuckers because you got paid to do it. Oh, yeah. They wanted the laying on the ground and spreading your legs for that fourth song. Remember, we had to do four songs pretty much like a 20 yep. minute. The last one had to be a floor show. Yeah. And you spread it, you <laughs> push that pussy up in their face. And, you know, we I didn't. I had a routine, you know, for my 20. Yes. First one, you yep. come out, you're in your costume and you tease and you maybe, you know, by the end of the first song, you're down to your bra and panty. Second song, you know, you teased, you took the tits out and you squished them around the pole. You know, it was all about the tits. Third song, the fucking underwear came off if it was legal. You know, it would adjust to if it was full nude or not. And by that fourth song, you're on the ground just spreading your legs as wide as they'd go. <laughs> rolling. It was around. easier with a duo because we didn't have to do that. See, you're right. You're right. You're right. There were duo acts, fire and ice. There were like some twin. I used to call them the moron twins. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. Scandalous. 
there was something, the M twins, I called them the moron twins because it sounded like moron. They were weirdos though, but there were very few duo acts. I remember. That's why we did it. (laughs) And of course, Blondage, but. Janine's the shit. I wish I could get her on the show. Who? Janine. She's so, you know, Ginger and I did a podcast after Vivid Radio ended and it was just a lot of work. It was, you know, and then we just get so busy with our lives. So, but we did have Janine on and she's doing great. That's just, awesome. You know, has her. Friends, but just living a real quiet life. She did a signing with me three years, right before COVID-19. She looks fucking better than ever. Good she's for her. Beautiful. And at a really good place in her life, you know. She was always like hot as balls for real. Like always. Like everybody thought Jenna Jameson, and I'm not going to take anything away from Jenna. She's pretty, but she's photogenic. And Janine is drop dead fucking beautiful and photogenic. And nice. Yes. Nice. Like she's probably the nicest person that I've known as far as the girls go. She's so down to earth. She's a lot like you though, because you're really down to earth. You're like, no, this is what it is. I say this. It's refreshing. Oh, thank you. But she's not like, I could get together with my girlfriends and we can like, blah, blah, blah. we could be catty behind some, you know, like Janine, like we'd be like, oh, you know, would there be all the vivid girls? Oh, that one. She did it. And Janine would say, well, maybe she had a bad day. You know, that kind like Janine would never talk bad about anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Characters that I, you know, just one or two in the business I didn't like, and no one did, you know, we'd be like, and Janine was like, she may have had a hard childhood, you know, that kind of like never said a bad word about anybody. (laughs) She is the nicest person, never heard her say one nasty thing about anybody. No, she really doesn't. No, never. I even said on our podcast, I'm like, you know, I have to give it to you. I never remember you talking smack about anyone. We'd be there like fucking tearing someone apart. And you'd be like, so in this scene, let's do the DP, you know, that kind of, she would never involve herself and a bunch of vivid girls. We could be fucking catty every so often. Oh yeah. And the locker room talk is way worse than any men's locker room could ever, ever, ever imagine being. We're brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Absolutely. Oh my God. How funny, but just such fun memories, but she's doing good. And I'd love to know that our girls got out unscathed, you know, maybe have a toe in the water still that kind yeah. of, thing. you know, cause we've seen most girls when they're done, they just, okay, they go back into civilization. And then you've got the rarities that, you know, knock the business. I had to do it. Uh, now, bitch, if you left, there's a line of 10,000 more. No one, the porn business isn't going to shut down because you quit. You know, they're, yep. you know, got the Bible thumpers, you know, a couple of those out there. But what do you think of the girls that were back in the day living the life and acting like everything was fun? And now they're all coming out in documentaries talking about how the business fucked them over and they made them do this and made them do that type of bullshit, like the Playboy, all the controversy on the Playboy stuff. Oh my God. You know, I don't agree with that. I was in Ojai with a boyfriend six months ago. I don't know. It's kind of a revolving door. And he fell asleep and I was like channel surfing. And I stumbled upon that Playboy thing and it was depressing. And I called my boss that used to be at Playboy Radio and I was like, so-and-so, what is this? He's like, those girls, Christy, used to come on the morning show and say how much they love their job, how much they love Hugh Hefner. They were there for 20 years. 
if it was that bad, you could have gotten another job in that time span. I don't agree with that. And the guy's dead. He can't even defend himself. You know, right. so I, think I think the same thing. Yeah. Do I think some of the stories were true? Absolutely. I'm thinking of a dog and Linda Lovelace. I think that story was probably true. It but is because I saw the footage. I did too. With a and, German shepherd. Yeah. And a horse, you know, so. I'll never you, be the same. It was kind of like, it was a little sexy to me in a really fucked up way. But with that being <laughs> said, it was the 70s. It was the 80s. People were more free to, exp- I mean, I didn't see somebody, you know, having sex, you know, against their will. Did I see people maybe on drugs and having a good time and experimenting? Yes, it was called fucking free love in the 70s and 80s. The only thing I've ever seen on set was weed. I mean, honestly, I should notice these things, right? Because I dealt drugs when I first got into dancing. I never did them. I just, it wasn't my thing, but I make money off of it. Right. Statue of limitations. You can say it. Yep. So (laughs) I should notice things, but people either don't do it around me or I'm really not paying attention because even the girls at the club, I'll be talking to them now. Like I've interviewed a couple of them and they would tell me stuff that went on. I'm like, are you serious? You guys fucking did that? Like I had no idea. And it's funny because they really did their absolute best to keep it from me. So, I mean, you could smell the weed, but I didn't see anything else. Like, you know, I hear stories about, oh, I saw people shooting up. I did not. You know what? I'm going to echo you. And I've been around since the 80s. Pot, yes, there were some, you know, it's pot. I I smoke weed now all the time. No one believed me because I'm so anti-drug. Right. It was a drug for us. When we were growing up, it was a drug. Like, right. Just say no. And weed was like the first one to say no to because then it leads to Coke and heroin, right? It's the gateway. It's the gateway to the fucking refrigerator. And that is it. So, I mean, I've seen because you can smell it, but I don't. I did not see anybody all strung out. But the regular models like Vogue, like they were all strung out on heroin and saying shit about us. We were not like there was no casting couch. That's what we were casted to do was to be on the couch. I agree with you a hundred percent. I can't speak as much for the new generation and the new crop because being on radio for 18 years and interviewing many, many girls every day of the week, I think it got a little sleazy. Yeah. There was the casting couch. Oh, if you want this job, suck my dick for, I did hear that from girls. I wasn't there. I can't agree. You know, I can't say for sure it happened, but I'm sure it did. But we were in it in an era where I was never asked to fuck someone for a job either. Never, never. No, I may have said to the director, you're fucking hot. Can we fuck it? You know, like I may have taken, I was the one that would have been hashtag me too. I was more of the aggressor, (laughs) but I never saw besides pot either drugs because we were there for a reason. We were there for a job. I think some of the guys would like Mark Wallace. He was a huge pot smoker in the eighties. He was an actor. No one gave a shit. No, it was pot. It wasn't a big deal. I never saw anybody do coke, heroin, nothing. Never saw anyone drunk on set because it was professional in our day. Yeah, I'm trying to think. No, like I did a movie with Raylene, not did, like I was undressed fucking somebody. I wasn't. They just wanted me in it. So literally they made me a prison guard. They're like, we weren't thinking that we wanted a really pretty prison guard, but will you do it? So I went through the script. And I'm like reading, I'm like, see right here where he's supposed to play with my tits and jizz on him? He's like, yeah. And it was PT. He goes, yeah. And I said, 
that is not going to happen. And he goes, it's not. I said, no, it is not. And then I kept reading down here and I said, oh, right here where this girl starts kissing to go down on me. That is absolutely not going to happen. My fucking wife is in the other room. So he put her in it. That's so PT. Oh my God. He was so, I could see him. It's not. (laughs) And he always had like a pen behind his ear. Okay. And scratch it. You know, he was adorable. I have nothing but good things to say about him. Yeah. There was a a girl, I think, who was on something because it was the only time that, I mean, you know, as well as I know, we have seen a ton of shit, a ton of shit. Like nothing could gross us out because we pretty much have seen it. You can't say something to us that's going to gross us out because we pretty much have heard it. But on this set, I did gag a little and it seemed like she was on something because of how she was reacting. She got her period and she kept taking her hand and licking it, but saying, what? Fuck this. Like, what the fuck's the problem? And that was the girl that he wanted to come kiss my neck. And I was like, absolutely not. She just had blood in her mouth. So I gagged a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You know what? And I get it. I get it. I completely agreed that that would make me a little nauseous too. I never saw anything like that. I did see a girl, and I don't want to say who, because I love her, who I didn't see her do heroin, but you knew she was on, you know, the convulsions and sweating, you know, Mm. I'm like, I didn't know because I've never knocked, I never did heroin, but everyone's like, oh, so-and-so, I think it's heroin, you know, and and she had a problem with it down the road. Is it the business? No, she chose. I don't blame the business for people getting into anything, you know, drug-wise. It's your choice. Like everyone has to take personal responsibility. I do for all my choices. You know, I don't blame, oh, my parents kicked me out and I had to get into part. No, I chose it and I loved it. It was beautiful. It was, it saved. And this sounds like such an oxymoron, but you know, my parents weren't talking to me and getting in porn, they became my family and they were good human beings. You can meet some nice people in this business. Not everybody's your friend. Like you don't go to work to make friends, but you meet some really decent people along the way. And I can honestly say that I probably have had better friends that have been in the industry, maybe because we all understand one another. Right. 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 I think so. Um, yep. You know, to a degree, because I remember when we did Curveball, I was listening to these two guys talk, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was, or else you know I would tell you. Yeah, I'll tell you about <laughs> the heroin girl after. I'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> so they were talking, and it was just nonchalant to talk about coming in someone's eye and the someone's shaft. Like I literally like stopped and I was like, wow, this is the business that I'm in. It became really raunchy. When I first started Playboy radio, you know, a girl came on, she's like, Oh, he gave me pink eye. And I'm like, Oh no. What's the, you know, is that like, I think it was called pink red eye, pink eye. I think it was, it's where the guy would open her eyeball and jizz in her. I'm like, he came where? Like, and don't, Punching. Like, I'm like, what's it was weird in that three year period since I quit. I wrote a book, this, that, and the other. And I came and I did radio. And I'm like, what's donkey punching? I'm like, isn't that the stuff in Tijuana with donkeys or what? And she's like, no, it's when a guy's fucking you doggy. And right as he's about to come, he punches you in the back of your head, like right there. And I thought, wow, how the business has changed since the internet doors were kicked open. Like, can you imagine fucking Peter North or TT Boy or Mark Davis donkey punching a girl? Like, that's so unsexy to me. To me, that's not porn. It's almost like abuse and humiliation, which I never felt abused. I never felt humiliated. Same. I, I felt sexy. I felt alive. I felt sexually charged. Do you know what I mean? 
It wasn't a degradation in any way, shape, or form for my personal preference. Maybe girls like to be donkey punched. You fucking punch me in the back of the head, I will cold cock you. There's not enough money you could pay me for that scene. I'm just going to be honest. Like, there is no fucking way that anybody could put enough zeros for that to happen. Right. I totally agree. And I think that that's why you and I have a good outlook because I never did anything I wasn't comfortable with. And no one ever asked me. I never did an anal scene. I don't do anal in my personal life. I don't find it a pleasure. Girls do great. Not my thing. So I never overstepped my personal boundaries. And I think that that's why I have a very positive attitude and outlook on all my years in the business. That's amazing. I'm glad that you do. And I'm actually glad that I talked to somebody who like, I wouldn't talk somebody into the business, right? Especially now and knowing what I know about it now, there's no defining line for hardcore. It's whatever the fuck they can put up there. Right. Yeah. So it's a different ballgame and I wouldn't recommend it, but I do think every girl should experience what it's like to be on stage taking your clothes off. Because if you do it right, you are the one that's in control, not the people at the stage. It was a rush. It was a rush. Every time till I quit, though, you'd be standing behind those little silver tin foil coming down or the red beads, the red velvet curtain, you know, and you hear the DJ, your intro, this, that. Every time you're like, a little nervous because you, you know, it is good. And I love that looking back because I wasn't like, oh, fuck, another show. I was like, oh, another show. Oh, my God. What if I trip? What if I, you know, and then the minute you walk on stage from behind the curtain, you're like, I fucking own this stage right now. Exactly. Wasn't it exhilarating for real? Yes. And yes, it really was. The guys made us feel not that there weren't guys that were in there and hadn't talked to me in a degrading way. It wasn't their best night because I would fight back. Like I'm that person, like, fuck you. You're not going to talk to me like that. So guys, when we were doing it, they made us feel sexy. They made us feel like we deserve to be up there being in control. And now they're degrading. Like I hear the way the girls would get talked to by the guys at the stage. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe Somebody puts up with that. Yes. Like there was a girl that came up to me and she's like, Leanne, so-and-so was trying to stick his finger in my ass on stage. And I said, listen, you need to pick a struggle because I saw a guy with a 20 and you allowed his finger in your ass. Now you can't allow the guy with the one sitting next to him thinking that his money's not good enough. Fingers in your ass or fingers in your ass. You have to pick a struggle with me. You're not going to win. That's so funny. Oh my God. That is hysterical. That is hysterical. Oh my God. Yeah. You know what though? You're right. You're right. If they see someone doing it, then they think here's my dollar. I want to do it too. You know, that kind of thing. Yep. So, you know, talking to them, even the music, the bitches and hoes and stuff like that, like that's how this generation has been groomed to treat women. Our day, they made it a little sly in the words of the music that they were trying to fuck us or do something. They were trying to be a little romantic or easier with the wording than it is now. Like now, just in the music, I can't even imagine being sexy and like having to say something like the word fuck or I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I just think that even our music was sexier than the music now. You know what? I agree. A lot of clubs, from what I recall, had a rule that the house girls couldn't do rap. Do you remember that rule? Yes. Good. Features could. So I was very faux rap. I was like Snoop Dogg, Warren G, you Love know, them. 
I was in that, you know, where it wasn't so degrading. It was just kind of fun and sexy. And it was so different than, you know, coming off the one hit wonders of the eighties, like flock of seagulls. And, you know, suddenly it was like, this is kind of answer that thankfully. And then, you know, and the house girls would be like, oh my God, thank you. We never get to listen to that at work unless the features here, they could play whatever they want, you know? So I'd like, it was fun. Or like noon though, noon, I do a disco set. I went with the demographic late night, you know, the midnight one o'clock, you do the rock and roll shows, you know, because if I played fucking it got to be real at a midnight show, they'd be like, what the fuck, you know? So <laughs> that's funny. You just have to go with what the demographic was of the crowd. The happy hour, they take anything and be happy. I do know that putting ACDC on in any club, you automatically have everyone's attention. Everybody. Oh my God, completely. It was fun though. I got to say it was a blast. And I'm just very thankful that I was able to be a part of that beautiful era where you would go, they'd put you up at a nice hotel, you do, you know, six days and four shows a day. And now you see girls on Twitter, I've got one show Friday night at midnight, you know, now dancing because we did pretty well dancing. Now dancing, our version of dancing is the new girls only fans. Okay. You know what I mean? They make good money with OnlyFans. We make pretty good money feature dancing. Yeah. In my day, for real, I made money hand over fist. And it is not, I can just tell you watching what some of these house girls go through. It is not like that today. I don't even know. I honestly, I would not be able to do it. It would not be my thing. I would just go get a job at McDonald's or something. Because sometimes you leave with the same amount of money with all the fucking house fees. Right stage fee. Then you have to tip everybody out. The DJ, the, 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 the you know, our era was beautiful. So, but Hey, you got know, paid to go. Yes. And some of these girls that were making bank on OnlyFans. I mean, you know, it's, even though I do it, I only work with girls like my friends, Joanna Angel, Ginger Lynn, you know, that kind of thing. Dare I'll do girl, girl stuff. I would like to do a guy. I'm just not quite ready yet. It would be fun though, just for nothing else. Porn sex was amazing. Fucking porn dick, 99% of the time, they came with their A game. You know, you'd have one or two newbies that couldn't get it up, you know, but I do like porn sex. It's just, it's it's a little dicey now with, you know, it's been shutting down here and there for testing. Yeah. And there's so many ways that they can, no pun intended, fudge shit, right? But Right. I'm not very trusting nowadays. I'm just not. I'm just not. And and I have to, you know, realize because I was very lucky, you know, 80s, it was very safe. There were 12 of us. We worked every day. You weren't doing anything outside of our group. You know, Peter North had to come three times a day. He wasn't going home and fucking anybody, you know, and then the 90s, I was with Vivid. It was condoms only. I just I'm at that age where I just I don't want to risk myself. It sounds fun to make a porn scene with a guy and just fucking have him throw me up in the air and this and that. But it's dicey out there these days to a degree. I agree with you. I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I could sit here and talk to you all day about all this because I know we know like similar people, Bill Margold, you know, people like that. Right. Um, the characters, your audience has to know they were such fucking characters. If it wasn't for porn, you'd never see Bill Margold anywhere. Yep. He, he passed. Was- He did. He was a character that lived for this business. I remember real quick, one night I was signing in Vegas with Victoria Paris 
And one night we're in bed and we're like, okay, let's think of what so-and-so, let's think of what people would do if porn didn't exist. You know, okay, this person would be a car salesman. This person would sell insurance, this, whatever, this would be a model. When we got to Bill Markle, we both said, no clue. If it wasn't for porn, he'd probably just kill himself. Like, yes, he was so cool. He's the one that gave, so my ex-wife's real name was Adriana. And mine obviously is Leanne, but he gave us our feature names. He gave me Lissa Luck and her Real Good. And he used to always say, so try to get in between you two. Good luck. I was like, all right. All right. He lived, his kids, he called us. Kids. Yep. With the bear. Yep. The free speech bear, coalition bear. And his whole van, his VW van was covered in teddy bears. Yep. And he'd always say to the kids, go pick out a teddy bear. Go to my van and pick out a teddy bear. He was a true character, but a good-hearted man. He really yep. was. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm probably going to still gossip, and I'll tell you guys about it later. <laughs> and keep hustling. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hustlers to Housewives. We hope you enjoyed our frank and funny discussions with some of the most interesting people from the adult industry. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us on our website or Twitter. Please like and leave a review on your podcast platform. Until next time, keep laughing, learning, and keep on hustling. Hustlers to Housewives.